Thank you all for checking out Convergence. Today, you are listening to a conversation with my wife, Sarah. In the podcast, we talk about social isolation and anxiety. We also touch base on being a stay-at-home mom. Check out our website at convergenceva.com. There you will find featured artists and their artwork, as well as past and present podcasts. You can also find Convergence Podcasts on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Convergence Podcast for the wanderer, cynic, and half-empty. Social isolation, social anxiety, and being a stay-at-home mom. Speaking for you and I, I think we're both naturally inclined to be more socially reclused. Wouldn't you say that that would be accurate? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're just kind of more of the homebody type and... I don't know. We're we're content with just I don't know. We just don't do much. We watch TV, <laughs> play some that little Mar- or uh, Nintendo thing or board games or whatever. But mostly just watch TV. We have struggled a little bit with adjusting, um, socializing with people having a toddler. But, I mean, there's no way of knowing for sure that COVID is, like, the a huge factor in that. I don't know if COVID didn't exist, if it would have been har- harder for us or not. Probably not. Why don't you, if you don't mind, Sarah, why don't you talk a little bit about what it's like being a stay-at-home mom just in general. <clears throat> when Creabelle was first born, we were struggling financially pretty pretty hard, actually. And um, you were trying to find, like, different gigs you can do from home. And that was a struggle for you, finding different stuff. Well, I think going even back a little bit further, I went from working full-time and having a pretty active social life to being home with a baby 24-7, and I also dealt with um, postpartum depression, which I I deal with depression anyways, and it was just magnified by lack of sleep and hormones and everything else that comes with being a new mom. And which I love, I love being a mom and I've loved staying home, but all of those changes at once is a lot. It was a lot and um, even still is. I do think COVID has made a huge impact in how I do things because I have a lot of anxiety and my dad is high risk and I'm very close to my dad, so every time... I do something that is risky, quote unquote, then I'm automatically thinking that I'm killing my dad, which is really dramatic. But um, I think that if COVID wasn't going on right now, that I would not have so much anxiety and depression related to being a stay-at-home mom. You know, they all kind of just 
flow together, I'd have more of a social life and things, but I think what's hard is balancing all the things and going from being fully independent to having somebody fully dependent on you. And I feel like I've really lost myself in that and having to remember who I am and what I enjoy and take care of myself, not just these little humans running around around me. Yeah. And you struggled too, like in the real early stages of Creabelle being born when she was being, when she was breastfeeding and stuff like that, you struggled with feeling like you owned your body. You know, you felt, I remember multiple times you feeling like, you know, your body wasn't even your own body. Yeah, it's crazy because you're pregnant for nine months, ten months, and you think once the baby comes out, you get your body back, but you don't. You're healing, and it's different. And then if you're breastfeeding, it's still like they're they're fully reliant on you for their nutrients and... I I know a lot of people that love breastfeeding and didn't want to stop when it was time and they just kept going and going and going and I was not that girl. I wanted to quit <laughs> <laughs> and I celebrated the last day that I breastfed Creabel. I lasted a whole year. I think a little over a year actually. Yeah, it was a little over. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, you just, it's motherhood is a very selfless thing um or it should be and it's an adjustment to to give of yourself so much physically and spiritually and emotionally yeah if i've overcome one like mental hurdle or struggle and there's another one that follows directly behind it it can be really discouraging for me and sometimes it's really overwhelming and it can potentially make the second thing that I'm facing worse because I'm like, man, I just fought through this thing and now I've got to fight through this thing. And then you kind of think, oh, well, what's after that? And so do you feel like, do you struggle with feeling discouraged or overwhelmed at the thought that now you're facing a new mental hurdle, you know, after you've kind of overcome the you know, feeling like your body wasn't your own. Now you're feeling like you is, now it's your person that's no, in jeopardy. I don't think so. I think it's weird because I didn't really realize that I was struggling until it got bad enough that, you know, I don't want to get out of bed or nothing makes me happy anymore. And I really feel like just recently I'm becoming aware that I don't really know who I am anymore or what I enjoy and I don't really do much for myself. You know, everything I do is is part of this checklist that, you know, take care of the house and take care of the baby and make sure I'm eating well for, you know, the baby I'm pregnant with and, you know, like I, literally everything I do throughout my day has to do directly with somebody else. And it was this process that you don't even know is happening because you're just doing what you have to do to get, get through the day. And then you're exhausted by the end of it. And, you know, my 
coping mechanism, if you will, is TV because I can just shut my brain off for a couple hours and not think about it until I go to bed and start all over again. So I wouldn't say that that, you know, was the case just because it's this gradual thing that you don't even realize is happening. And even when I think about other women that have spoken into my life or have shared their struggles with motherhood through, you know, the teenage years and even as their kids become adults and move out of their homes, this is something that mothers struggle with all the way through until their kids are, you know, our age. Our, you know, moms probably struggle with finding who they are after motherhood. And I think a lot of marriages struggle because of this because the woman has spent 20 years 30 years just taking care of everybody else and then they're gone and they don't know what to do with themselves anymore so I think it's a blessing that I'm seeing it now and that I have women who are willing to share this with me now so that I can start working on it before it becomes a bigger issue than it already is Mm. Do you think that moms struggle with, I'm sure, you're, I feel like you're kind of saying this already, but I'm just going to ask anyway. Do you feel like moms struggle with feeling, with letting either, well not letting, but they themselves allowing their kids to just completely take over like their lives and their, their being? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard not to because they they take up so much of our time. I mean, most days I don't have time to, you know, or I don't feel like I have time or I don't prioritize making time for myself. Right. And then there's the whole issue of mom guilt, which is a huge topic in, you know, mom circles that we feel guilty about every little thing that we're doing wrong, even if it's not really wrong. And a lot of times that is just normal daily self-care. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel bad about ourselves. Like we're somehow robbing our children of the childhood they deserve or, you know, and especially, especially in light of your childhood and what you've been through and thinking about friends who struggle with infertility who you know would be amazing parents and for whatever reason they just can't seem to conceive you know I feel like I have to me personally some for some stupid reason I have to make up for those things you know like I have to fill those gaps which plays into the guilt and feeling like I'm not enough and I need to be doing more and then Social media plays into that. You know, there are just all these different things that stack up against us, you know, as moms. I'm, I don't know, I'm speaking for a very large group of women, but I feel like um, I've seen other women struggle in that way. Yeah, and you're just, it's okay. I mean, you're just, you're sharing your personal experience and kind of what you're seeing from others. I mean... You know, I don't feel like you're necessarily making blanket statements. You're just kind of expressing what you see and what you're going through. And um, do you, what what would you say, like, earlier you said um, 
that you feel guilty or this mom guilt, like, you know, feeling guilty, um, if you self care, um, do you mind giving like an example of like a time you felt guilty because, you know, you've done this and you could have been doing this instead kind of thing. I'm assuming that's what you mean. I, okay, I lead a Bible study weekly, a women's Bible study, and um, since I, well, regardless, I, I like to take time to journal and read my Bible, and I try to do that daily, and I found that the best way to do that is by turning on the TV for an hour and letting Kriba watch TV while I drink my hot coffee and do my Bible study. I feel, I don't feel as guilty about that as I used to, but I was one of those like absolutely no TV until she's five kind of moms for the first year and a half of Kriabelle's life until the pandemic hit and we started watching Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sesame Street's been helping her a lot, yeah, though. It, has. it really has. No, it has. So, but there's this residual, like, you know, I'm kind of a crunchy mom, I guess you would say. And so I feel guilty letting her watch an hour of TV anyway, but then letting her watch an hour of TV so that I can, you know, do my own thing and drink my hot coffee makes me feel guilty. Do you think if um, my mom is experiencing this mom guilt, like I'm assuming when you explain what you did and why you did it, it probably sounds really silly, doesn't it? That you felt (laughs) guilty about that. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think moms that are experiencing this guilt, if they just kind of either journaled or talked out loud like okay this is what I'm doing and this is why you think there's a potential possibility that they would realize okay this is really silly maybe it's you know not something I should be kind of feeling guilty about and kind of holding within myself you know because those stuff those things I've learned in counseling myself those things stack up and before you know it, you're, you've got this whole spiral of guilt and all these things that you're holding inside, and it just destroys you. You know, it brings you down to a really dark low point. You know what I mean? It weighs you down, and it, it starts to affect. If you're married, it starts to affect your marriage. If you're in a relationship, it affects that, or family, whatever. It affects everything around you. You know what I mean? So you think if moms were to just do like what you just did just now, do you think that would help them potentially to kind of work through some of that stuff? Yeah, and I think it kind of brings us to how important relationships are, relationships with other moms or just people that you trust and can be real with. And maybe maybe that's you setting that precedent maybe that's you or you know in my case me being the one who's being raw and real um and you know people need people we need community we were created for community 
And so cultivating that safe place to say, hey, I'm really struggling today or hey, I feel like crap because I did X, Y, and Z and just either finding a group that's already like that or creating a group, you know, being the first one to be raw because people people know when you're being real and you know, I I have a few close friends who are really real and they are so easy to just be myself with, like unapologetically who I am. And so if you don't have people like that, being that person, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and putting yourself in the position to be that person that other people can feel, you know, like, oh, okay, she's really real. I can be myself. And sharing our burdens with one another in that way, I think is really important, especially for moms, for all moms of all types, you know, not just stay at home moms. We all have our own struggles, but for moms feeling isolated and, you know, we need an adult to speak to, even if it's just through a quick text or voice message. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, this kind of ties in and I feel like it'll transition well into our other topic of social isolation and social anxiety, because I feel like some people listening to this are probably like, well, that's sounds all great and fine you know this community thing and being the pioneer and reaching out to people it sounds cool but I can't do that you know I feel like you and I both um struggle with that with uh being the first one to talk or taking the initiative to strike up a conversation or whatever it is pick up the phone and call somebody um so I kind of wanted to talk with you about this social anxiety um, and social isolation, especially since you and I, like we said earlier, we're both prone to being more socially recluse anyway. But I feel like even though we're more wired to be okay with that, it still does affect us when we're socially isolated, you know. Like, we, we might be able to tolerate being more socially isolated for a longer period of time, but part of God's design, and it's it's just so obvious, if you look, if you look around at the world, even just our, I'll just speak for our culture, um, you know, the United States, our, our country, if you look around our country, you can see people are starving for social connection you know, legitimate social connection. And so, um, what do you think are some of those catch points, those things that stop us from connecting? Well, I would say the feeling of a fake connection, you know, like I am addicted to social media. I have been since I was a teenager and I really struggle with Facebook and, you know, I, I hate Facebook, but I cannot get off of it. And I know a lot of people that have that same struggle. And what is dangerous about social media is that it 
creates this false sense of connection. You know, for a moment, I feel good because I'm getting likes or people are commenting on my stuff or, you know, I, I'm laughing at things that I'm looking at or it's making me smile and they're thinking what I'm thinking. But it's a high that lasts, you know, a split second and then it's gone and then you're left feeling even more empty than you did in the first place. And it's, I think it's confusing if you don't take time to really think process through it and think through it because it feels like you're having a genuine connection with people and you're not you know I don't know most of the people on my friends list on Facebook I don't know most of the people that like my stuff I don't know what their day-to-day lives look like or who their families are you know and really I I mean I wasn't gonna say this but I don't personally struggle with an addiction to social media i don't i'm like never ever on facebook maybe once a year if that literally Um, he's not exaggerating yeah i just at some point i just saw how toxic it was and just it just rubbed me the wrong way years ago and i just said you know what i'm not even gonna partake in this and part of me regrets because i'm i'm an all-in or all-out kind of guy so part of me regrets backing all out because now i'm like completely oblivious to most of the social media framework and how it you know because we're so addicted to social media that social media has in a way become a pretty integrated part of our lives and so, in a sense, I feel really disconnected from that. And I don't, it doesn't bother me, but it's more like in a utility kind of way, you know, that I wish that I was more up to date on, on that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, I think what you're saying about social media is interesting because I'd like to hear your experiences. Um, with genuine connection Um, because I feel like we both have um, some negative experiences with you know face-to-face people-to-people connection Um, and what so do you mind sharing a little bit about that and I'll kind of share a little bit about it too about the negative or the positive well kind of a positive and negative Because you kind of shared the positive and negative with social media. Because I feel like the positive side to social media is it does, in a sense at least, kind of keep you connected with people. I would say that it can. I've reconnected with a lot of friends through Facebook. Yeah. And created genuine, genuine relationships through that. Yeah. And as far as like... We don't want to bash social media either. Because there are benefits. There are you know, utility benefits to social media, you know, like you've been able to sell um, your nativities and different um, crocheting projects and all kinds of different stuff like that on social media. And like you said, you've reconnected with some people um, and then you shared your your negative um, things that you've experienced with social media. So, what about with the genuine connections? Like we're talking, okay, we need these genuine connections. 
but I'm sure all the listeners or most of the listeners would probably agree that face-to-face, people-to-people connections are messy and really hurt. They can be really hurtful. I mean, you can obviously be hurt pretty badly on social media too, but um, kind of what what have your experiences been in the face-to-face? Well, genuine connection is work. I remember thinking that I really like new friendships because they're easy and they're fun and you know, you're just learning about each other and you don't really rub each other the wrong way yet. Um, but to have that genuine connection where you can be just raw with people, it takes time and work and it can be exhausting sometimes and you have to really believe that it's worth it. And I believe it's worth it because I do have some really um, good relationships with friends and mentors. Specifically, I the mentor thing, I spent, wow, gosh, the first, like, four years of our marriage. Oh, yeah. Looking for a mentor, like, literally praying to God that he would put a mentor, somebody who could, a godly woman who could speak into my life, who I could go to for advice, who could pray for me. And I would find a woman who I thought could do that for me and I would tell her what my expectations were and ask if that was something she could do and I am still blown away by how often I was blown off or misunderstood or like they just didn't care um until of actually um I don't even exactly know how I connected with this woman but to this day, she's a mentor of mine, and, you know, I call her my spiritual mother. She's I tell her happy Mother's Day on Mother's Day because she's just been such a huge um, part of my life and has made such an impact on me as a woman. And she, you know, it took time to get there. There were some things that she told me that were offensive at times and that hurt my feelings at times, but I know I can say, hey this is what's going on in my life. What do you think about that? And she's going to tell me if I like it or not. She's going to be honest with me and she's going to tell me I love you regardless. And, um, you know, she's just going to love me through it and be there with me through it. And, um, it was hard and discouraging when there were so many people that didn't come through for me but it was worth it to find somebody that did. And I think because I stuck it out and found someone who was willing to love me through my mess, I have learned to better love people through their mess. And I've, you know, I'm in some ways, you know, I aspire in some ways to be more like my mentor is and to love women the way that she's loved me. And so I think that if we if we commit to finding genuine relationships, then not it doesn't just benefit us, you know, it multiplies and it multiplies. And I think if you can think about it in the big picture, that it, it will benefit you two-sided. I mean, it benefits me to mentor other women. It benefits mm-hmm. me to teach other women just as much as it benefits me to be taught by other women. And so it's just this big 
you have to see the big picture. I'm a big picture person, so that helps me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are, so you mentioned a little bit of like a negative side effect to it. Um, I think for me, um, it's kind of a, a two way thing for me. Um, cause I have two different experiences of social interaction. Um, there's the social interaction pre-counseling and the social interaction post-counseling and um, I was actually talking with my counselor about that today Um, I never really struggled with social anxiety prior to counseling or if I did there was so much other stuff emotions and internalized memories and so on in the way that it wasn't really a prominent issue that I struggled with. Um, I was telling my counselor today, I kind of had this, over time I developed this um, attitude like, you're going to take me as I am, and that's the end of it. And my counselor said, you know, it's kind of like you were, excuse the term, but putting up your middle finger to everybody and saying, you know, if you don't like it, then, you know, look at the finger. And I said, yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. You know, it was really negatively rooted. So, um, and that kind of emotion and mindset fueled me to just kind of recklessly, uh, maybe not recklessly, maybe so, I don't know, but just meet people and not really care if they thought bad or poorly of me or not. And, um, so it was easier pre-counseling for me to make friends, um, and kind of cultivate relationships. Um, so I didn't really have, I, I still had negative, um, consequences of interacting with people, but it wasn't, I don't know. I just let it roll off my back, but post-counseling is a different story, um, Because I had built this wall in myself that kept, and my counselor said this, and I couldn't agree with it more. It kept me out of myself, which I know sounds kind of weird, but it kept me out of myself. And it kept others out of that area of my life, you know. Um, But once I went through counseling, I was completely and totally fully aware of myself, And in turn, it felt as if anybody that I met would be fully aware of all of me. And so it created this panic mode in me that, you know, oh crap, they can see all of me now. And so in in a defense mechanism, I guess, I've really struggled to connect with people now. And I'm having to relearn how to interact with people, and um, so that's been that's been hard for me to to do that. And um, also, going through counseling, um, you kind of feel like a wounded animal a lot of times around people, especially if some people are aware that you're going through counseling, and they might be aware of some of the stuff that you've been through. And so you just feel like you 
in self-preservation maybe you just want to push everyone away because it's like you know i'm tired of you asking me how i'm doing i'm tired of you you know just looking at me as if i'm a wounded animal so in a way that's caused a lot of um, social isolation for me too um and i can't really speak in regards to social media because like i said i've abandoned that years ago but um for me i've had a hard time connecting with people in community because i don't feel like i fit in in the communities you know i feel like in a way honestly i feel like i've been through a lot in my life so i feel like when i'm connecting with people they just don't get it and so that's been a frustrating thing for me um and really the root of that for myself is I have a great fear of being misunderstood. So I don't share things with people because I'm afraid they'll misunderstand where I'm coming from. And so for me, my challenge in overcoming that is being real and raw with people and pushing through it, even if I feel like, man, they really are not understanding what I'm saying you know if they're just doing this kind of sort of in a cynical way I came up with this Christian rapid response team thing where people just um you share like oh man I've had a really rough week you know I've been depressed and anxious and suicidal all week and their immediate response is you know um I look to the mountains where does my help come from my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth or just think about Job and what he went through or, you know, different stuff like that. And at the time, it, it sounds as if they might as well be reading out of the newspaper to you, you know, completely irrelevant, you know, it's, it's how it feels. Um, what they're saying might be the truth, but in the time, at the time, it feels like, man, you might as well be reading a comic book or reading an article out of the newspaper to me because that... Is about how relevant it feels at the time. So, and I think as a couple, we've struggled with the social anxiety and social isolation because, like I've said probably the third time now, we're homebodies. So we don't really always feel like, either we don't feel like going to a social situation or we, you know, just don't really realize we need that socialization until it's like we're both spiraling and depressed and life sucks. So, <laughs> but, um, well, I, I want to back up for a minute cause I think it's been interesting as your wife to see you on this journey because when we met, you didn't have any issues with social anxiety and it was weird for me, when you started having issues, which I've, as long as I can remember, I've had, I've struggled with social anxiety and it flipped where I became the social one and you became the recluse, you know, more so than, yeah, you know, it kind of flipped. And, um, I think I, I started noticing a big difference in it improving, you know, because it, it got worse when you were in counseling. It got really bad when you started counseling. And I think 
shame played a lot to do with that kind of like what you were saying i was just hearing you definitely you're talking about shame and afraid people will actually see you but then when between the counseling you know that helped i think when i really started to notice a big improvement in your your social anxiety is when you were working at the pizza shop and you were forced to be around a lot of people all the time and this is something I've even noticed about myself, um, just like a, a practical thing, that when we are forced to be in social situations, we are able to practice being social, and it over time becomes more comfortable. Yeah, I would agree fully with that. And I don't necessarily know. I, I want to say that not everybody struggles with it the same way. And I think... I want to say that um, some people are more naturally just able to, you know, they don't have, it's kind of like a, for you and I, it's kind of like a muscle that we have to constantly be working. And if we're not working on it, then it just turns to flab and we're turning to couch potatoes, (laughs) literally. And for some people, I feel like it's not as much like that. Like there's one person that you and I both know that, um, I feel like he could be in some cabin in the woods for 10 years and come back and still be just as socially a social butterfly as he is now. Um, Whereas you and I would probably, it would probably take us 20 years to (laughs) get back to where we are now. So, but yeah, that's a really good point. And it is true. I noticed that in myself too. Um, that that forced social interaction you know because my normal nine nine to five job I'm a landscaper and so I'm not really interacting with hardly anybody most of the time especially in the summertime because I'm a foreman for the um, cutting grass and so I'm on a mower or weed eater or a blower most of the day and the only time I'm talking to people is at lunchtime when I'm talking to my coworkers, or I might have to say, hey, you, you go do this while I'm doing this, you know, just simple little things, you know. When I was at JoJo's, on the other hand, the pizza place, I was constantly interacting, you know, with, with all my coworkers because, of, you know, we're prepping food or you know, I'm interacting with the customers. If I was, you know, serving people beers at the bar or I was on the phones, which I absolutely hated doing that, or the customers when I was delivering pizzas. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it forced me to be interactive with people and it made it easier for me to be more interactive with people outside of my job. So... That could be a big part of why it's gotten worse again in in the past year because I'm back to just working my normal nine to five, <clears throat> seeing the same three people every day, um, not counting you and Creabal, of course. So I think that's part of it. Maybe we can talk about some things that I talked with my counselor about, specifically with social anxiety. But before we do that, why don't you, Sarah, if you're comfortable, why don't you share with the listeners some of the things that 
you've personally struggled with in, in regards to social, social anxiety? Like, what are some things that kind of cause that fear in you and kind of like your experience with social anxiety? Well, I um, was homeschooled from third grade all the way through 12th grade, and we lived in an apartment from the time I was 12 um, all the way through. And really the only interaction I had outside of my home was dance class, and I didn't really connect with a lot of the girls. We didn't have a lot in common. And um, I think that really is the root of a lot of my problems, um, my, so- my particularly my social anxiety, <laughs> all my problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the root of all your problems. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I remember particularly, this is like the most vivid memory of, The first time I realized that my social anxiety was a problem, I must have been like, I don't know, 14 or so. And I remember coming back to dance after summer break and seeing some of the girls that I had danced with for the first time. And I remember saying, and I coached myself, I said, when I see them, I'm going to say, hey, how was your summer? And all afternoon, I kept rehearsing, hey, how was your summer? Hey, how was your summer? Hey, how was your summer? Over and over and over so that when the moment came, I would actually say it. And I did. And I was so proud of myself. And then I felt like such an idiot because, like, how dumb that I can't just say something so simple. You know, I was so terrified for whatever reason just to just to speak, just to use my voice. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is there more? I mean, you know. <laughs> I know one thing that you struggle with, um, is you are terrified to talk on the phone or to make a phone call to somebody. Because when I'm around, I'm you're always like, no, you do it. No, you do it. I made him order me Chinese last week. Yeah, because you, you were so afraid to talk wow. on the phone. It's funny, too, because I worked my job that I worked for a couple of years before I had Creabel was like, that's all I did was talk on the phone. I was like, yeah, you were a case manager. 90% of my job was calling people and talking to them on the phone. And I had to coach myself to do that every single day. But, and you were dealing with families too, on a constant basis, talking with them in person. And I loved my job. I really enjoyed that job. I don't know. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of the root of it. I feel like there's more to it than just that I was homeschooled. Well, my counselor, I don't know if this would help. My counselor told me that a lot of social anxiety is, believe it or not, surprise, surprise, fear-based. Um, so he said, understanding your social anxiety, the f- one of the first steps is just figuring out what what's the root of it what's that fear that's 
overwhelming your senses and causing you to hyper focus on thinking about what to say or oh how do I look or that's true yeah different things like that I mean I have a a paper that he he had me print out um just some questions like what what social situations are you anxious about giving a speech going to the grocery store meeting someone new spending time alone with a friend making eye contact dealing with authority figures going on a date being the center of attention attending a crowded event talking on the phone all of the above (laughs) (laughs) and then what are you worried about during those social situations so for example if you're afraid if you're anxious about giving a speech are you afraid of embarrassing yourself being rejected looking stupid not knowing what to talk about your physical appearance being noticed being disliked Um, and i wrote because there's little lines i wrote fear of being misunderstood you know different stuff like that whatever it is like think of if you're listening right now and you want to understand maybe a little bit more about your social anxiety, just think about those things I mentioned earlier. What are you anxious about? And then think about what you're worried about happening or experiencing during that social situation. It might not be any of the things I mentioned. Maybe there's something else. So, and then... Oftentimes, social anxiety will lead a person to build their life in a safe way that shields them from their fears, rather than living how they truly want. Um, This form of avoidance, which will actually make the anxiety worse over time. Um, Next, we'll explore how social anxiety and avoidance has impacted your life, and then it gives list three ways in which your social anxiety has impacted your life for example did anxiety affect your choice of career has it affected your relationships and then imagine you wake up tomorrow your social anxiety is gone how would your life be different list three examples be as specific as possible so bringing it back to the beginning What makes you anxious about a social situation? What are you worried about? What, how has it affected your life? And what would your life look like if the the anxiety was gone? And if you do those few things, you'd be really surprised at what comes out in in, in that exercise. And for me, what came out was, okay, I'm afraid of being misunderstood. And this is what happens when I'm feeling this way during a social situation. And then kind of putting yourself in an imaginary situation where you have no, absolutely no social anxiety. You can kind of look at, okay, this is what I can actually do. Because, right, that's what my counselor was telling me. This is what you can actually do. Like, you're your imaginary day you can actually live that day so yeah that's good like he encouraged me just for the listeners um i'm not not a counselor so i'm not saying that this is 
gonna fix anything. But um, if you want to try it, he suggested to me um, when you're socially anxious, there's two things you want to avoid. One thing you want to avoid is never try to fight thoughts with thoughts. Like those cyclical thoughts you keep thinking in your head over and over again during a social situation. You're anxious and you're thinking, oh man, you want whatever you're thinking. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so stupid or, oh man, this outfit makes me look ugly or whatever you're thinking. Because you hit this certain point, like my counselor said, of no return where your thoughts are like rapidly just going over and over and over and over. If you try and fight those thoughts... You're actually going to make it worse. You're just going to spiral more. So he said the first thing that you want to do is slow your thoughts down. And he said the way to do that, he suggested to me, was you can shift your aware. This sounds kind of new age, but it's, it's really not. It's a lot simpler than it sounds. It sounds kind of mystical, but shift your awareness to another part of your body. Like for example, start noticing how your feet feel in your shoes and kind of wiggle your toes and just kind of focus on that or focus on your breathing, like start slowing your breathing down, you know, just kind of thing when you're talking to people or in your head, start counting slowly, you know, like one, Two. He said, when you do those things, you're slowing your mind down. And as you slow your mind down, you're able to become more aware of, you know, your surroundings and the social situation that you're in. Um, and for me personally, the, the feet, focusing on my feet and how the sensation of my feet in my shoes and wiggling my toes, like that's a real subtle way of, you know, especially if someone's like talking to me directly, because one thing that always makes me really anxious is if I'm the center of someone's attention. I've struggled with that probably longer than anything else. Um, Sarah always laughs, because, um, and we both, we both kind of do this, but I do, I probably have done it more and I especially do it more now, probably. I haven't. I don't think I've really seen you do this, but lately. But <laughs> we were meeting somebody or talking with somebody. She would notice that I would start walking in circles. Either I'd be walking in circles around the person, or just kind of like in front of them. I'll just start walking in circles. And it sounds really funny, and it is funny, but. The reason I'm doing that, subconsciously, I'm wanting to flee the situation I'm in. You know, it's a fight or flight kind of thing. I'm wanting to, you know, flee the the attention of this person. And so that's that was my kind of subconscious <laughs> reaction to <laughs> fleeing the situation. Um, I don't it's even. It's funny know. because people rotate with him. Like if he's walking in a circle, then. Everybody winds up kind of walking in a circle subconsciously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. It, it's really funny when we, earlier in our marriage, we both would do that. 
and the person would be like <laughs> rotating around. <laughs> it's like they don't even, I don't know if they even notice. I don't think people normally notice. Like it'd be really fun. It'd be like, oh, what's that uh, psychology experiment where somebody stands oh, on the, the street oh. and looks at the sky oh, and then yeah. everybody stops and starts <laughs> yeah. looking. It'd be one of those really funny things that you just videotape where the guy's like, or girl is just like spinning around in a circle. <laughs> or it reminds me of the elevator. You get in the elevator and everybody's facing the back. Oh, yeah. And then the person slowly turns around and faces the back, too. Yeah, instead of facing the front of the elevator, like yeah. what would make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that the counselor brought up to me that's a really good point i'm sure both of us have thought this challenge yourself is this person really a threat to me is this person really like for me part of the social anxiety was a fear of being attacked or taken advantage of by the person so stopping and thinking hey is this person really a threat would they really smack me in the face would they really choke me would they really you know what i mean like all those things that happened to me as a child would they really do any of those things to me you know and part of it too was i was talking to him i still in a sense feel like that little boy in that house and i'm a man now i'm a full-grown man and so another thing he challenged me is you know you are a a full-grown man you know you have the ability to defend yourself you have the ability to get help if you need it you know you're not trapped in this house and so just rem reminding yourself of those truths also helps you know let's say for example and this is horrible but you say you were you're a woman that was in an abusive relationship and you're out of this relationship now but every time you talk to men it's really it makes you really anxious and afraid and of course why wouldn't it but just maybe rem reminding yourself and i'm not gonna say that i fully understand where you're coming from so please hear that but maybe it would help you to think is this person in front of me really a threat and maybe you can't really answer that question fully but just you know just just reminding yourself of the moment that you're actually in and you're not defenseless kind of a thing like what what do you think sarah would for, coming from your own social anxiety what do you think something that you could tell yourself during a social situation that might help you to realize hey this you know i'm okay well i feel like it's multifaceted because just like anything else, anxiety ebbs and flows and there are days that are worse than others. And so some days what worked yesterday won't work at all. And um, I think that for me, the biggest source of help has been my faith. And, you know, I spent a couple years really wrestling with my faith and I you know, almost walked away several times because of my questions of why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people? Why why do people get abused? Why are children neglected? And 
um, it really rocked my faith. But what came out of that wrestling with God was a faith like I've never known. And out of that has come an acute awareness of who I am in Christ and who my faith makes me. You know, it's sort of like what you were saying earlier about, you know, um, just that really practical becoming aware of your breathing or becoming aware of another part of your body. You know, I'm familiar with that with when you have a panic attack, they say count how many doors there are in the room, stuff like that. And in the same kind of way, um, I become aware of who I am in my soul, which is a child of God. You know, it sounds cliche and it sounds too good to be true or whatever, you know, one of those Christianese things. And it's something that I, you know, I don't always feel it, but I on the, my bad days and overall, if I could look at it in terms of, you know, this overall, what, what helps me with social anxiety? What can I rest in? What can tell me, what tells me that I'm okay is that I am a daughter of God, that this is not my home, that he is good and loving and gentle and he's there. And that gives me a security that I can't get anywhere else. Yeah. There's a uniqueness to our faith and how that plays into who we view ourselves as. And for those of you who are listening, who are thinking, well, I do this or I do that, and that seems to be helping me, my heart is to tell you that there's a lasting solution that is it doesn't just cover social anxiety it's all-encompassing like your whole life and it's it's something that will give you an unshakable hope overall not just in your socially anxious situation well i think we need tools in our toolbox, you know, like that, the, um, the stuff that you shared that your, your counselor had shared and medications and exercise and having friends and, you know, like lots of practical things that are good, that help, that we need in our lives. But our faith goes beyond that practical. It goes into the night when you're laying there alone yeah. You know, having memories flooding your mind or going beyond what the tools in our toolboxes can do. And it goes deeper. It's not just in our minds, it's in our hearts, it's in our souls. And I get that that's really like, I don't know, it's not concrete. It's, yeah, it's hard to understand, I guess. It, it doesn't feel real, maybe. I don't know. Um, it's not tangible. Tangible. That's a good word. Yeah. It's not tangible, but it goes beyond, you know, it, it encompasses everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we wanted to make sure to tell you that we understand 
if you feel like what you're doing is working, so why change? We understand that you feel that way, but we would encourage you to consider that having a fa- a faith having your faith in Jesus and putting your trust and everything you have into him is actually the absolute best thing that you could ever do. You're not dependent on other means um, to filling that. So, and the other thing too about your faith is Jesus will sustain you when you are too weak to do those practical, tangible things. Because there are moments where you are so completely exhausted that you can't even fathom the idea of going through this, for example, social anxiety exercise that we shared. And that's where having your faith really, I hate to word it this way, but bridges the gap. You know what I mean? Because Jesus sustains us when we're when we're really we can't do it ourselves and i know sarah and i both have experienced times like that um like i'll just give a quick example when i was going through counseling i had every reason to stay in bed and not get up and go to work every day you know i hated my job And I was dealing with a lot internally, you know, and just suicidal thoughts and just hating everything. And I still got up and I still went to work every day. And I know that I was not doing that completely on my own strength. There's no way I was because of the mental state that I was in. You know, there's... There's no logical reason why I got up and went to work every day, but I did. And I really strongly believe that that was Jesus in working inside me to give me that strength to get up and go to work and to keep that responsibility of, of providing for my family at the front of my mind despite reliving all those moments of my childhood. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I I think it's worth noting, too, that it doesn't always look or feel like you think it should. You know, I can remember plenty of times you saying, where is God? Where is God? And you didn't see him in the moment, but I think hearing you now, you look back and you said, oh. Yeah. Now I now I see where he was. I didn't feel him right then when I was in the midst of it, but now looking back, I see he was absolutely there. Thank you guys for listening. Um, please, please um, try some of these exercises out and just um, be open to it. And know that we're, like I said, we're sharing these things because we care about you guys. We love you guys. And uh, we want what's what's best for you guys. 